This morning, question for you to begin with. Question for you. Uh, more just wondering if you can relate to this at all. You ever been in the movies? You go with like a group of friends to the movies and you're sitting there and the entire time you're sitting there watching a movie, you're thinking to yourself, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> you ever done this? Right? And the whole time you're just thinking, oh my gosh, that line is so cheesy. Did they... Seriously, that's the plot. That's where it's going. And so you lean over to your friend and you're about to be like, can you believe this movie? And you notice, you look at them and they're just taken by the movie. They're like leaning forward, eyes open, tears coming down. And then you leave and you're walking to the parking lot and they just rave about how great this movie is and how their life is going to be transformed because of this movie. And you're thinking the whole time, that movie? It was the dumbest movie. Like, did we see the same movie? Right? You, you experienced this? You know you were in the same room, but it really seems like you're hearing something completely different. And it doesn't just happen in movies. This thing happens all the time. You've probably experienced this. Somebody hands you a book, right? And they're like, this book changed my life. And you read it and you're like, this book? <laughs> this book? Um, or, or here, as a pastor, you get this a lot because you put, for all intents and purposes, the same group of people with the same background, same everything, have them in the same room, listen to the same sermon. I guarantee you they're all going to hear something different. I guarantee you. And I guarantee it because I experienced this at the door. At the door or with the high school kids later on in the week when they start reflecting back on what was said. And that's one of the cool things here is at the door, you know, we get to greet you on the way out, which is oxymoronic, I just realized. Uh, say goodbye to you on the way out. It's, you don't greet on the way out. Um, but what you end up doing is at the door, people will often share, you know, I really appreciated, I was encouraged by what you said in the message, or I was really offended when you said this. And as they start explaining certain things, they're like, you said this. And I'm thinking the whole time, those words never came out of my mouth. <laughs> or worse, that was the opposite of my point. <laughs> It is the weirdest thing. And again, it doesn't just happen to filmmakers, doesn't just happen to authors, doesn't just happen to pastors. You ever had this experience where you try and communicate something to somebody and they just don't understand you fully? You ever had this? Like, let's give it this example. Maybe you're with your kids, your, your spouse, or just even a friend comes over and you go, hey, honey, can you take the trash out? Honey, can you take the trash out? And they understand you sometimes. And by understanding, that means they go over and they take the trash out of the trash can. They tie it up. They walk it to the dumpster. They replace the new trash bag. And you're like, perfect. That is what I meant by take the trash out. And then there's other times you say, honey, can you take out the trash? And they partially understand you. They go over to the trash. They take it out. And they put it right by the front door. And they forget to put the trash bag away. And then they go and sit back down on the couch. And you're like, not really what I meant. Yes, you took it out of the trash can, but that nah, didn't really get there. And then, again, none of these are from personal experience. They're purely hypothetical examples. <laughs> your, your spouse asks you, hey, will you take the trash out? And you go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get to that. And then two days later, the trash is still sitting there. Right? People totally forget this. Sometimes they respond, sometimes they partially understand, and sometimes they just all together blow you off. Right? What these experiences teach us is something very simple, and yet it's a very profound thing that Jesus is going to communicate to us this morning. And that is this. There is a distinct difference between hearing and understanding. 
There's a distinct difference between somebody telling you something and you actually understanding what they're saying. There's a difference even between using Jesus' words, seeing and perceiving. Just because somebody tells you something, just because you hear something does not mean you understand it. And so what Jesus does in our parable this morning is he presents a story that communicates this really well. It's a story that, honestly, we tell kindergartners all the time. This is like Sunday School 101. This is this story. It's the story of a farmer going out to throw some seeds in his field. And so the image is a farmer with like, I don't know, like a knapsack kind of thing on the side full of seeds. And he's walking in his field and he's just throwing the seed. And as he throws the seed, Jesus says that the seed lands on four different types of soil. Is this sounding familiar? Four different types of soil. You got the, the rocky, or excuse me, the hard soil of the path, you know, the stuff he just walked on. Then you got the rocky soil. Then you got some thorny soil. And then you got some good soil. And what he says is that seed that is thrown on all these different types of soil, that seed, Jesus says, represents the message of the kingdom of God. In other words, the seed represents the gospel. The seed represents the good news or all that Jesus has come into the world to accomplish. That's what the message is. And Jesus says that message goes out to all people. Everyone has a chance to receive it, but everyone is going to receive it differently. Just like the different soils receive the seed differently, people receive and understand the message differently based on the conditions of their heart. And what he's going to say is, there are some people that are outright just going to ignore the message that God has, just like the seed that bounces off the hard dirt. It doesn't get absorbed at all, it just gets, you know, taken away. Others are going to have a superficial understanding of the message. Others are going to, it's going to like take root, sort of, but the power of the gospel, the power of that message, what God intended to happen through that message it's not going to be able to happen because there's so many stresses or other things preoccupying the mind that God can't really work in that because you're not really handing your life over to God. You're allowing the stresses to suffocate you. And then there's times where that seed, that message, that gospel, that life-transforming power of the gospel actually takes root in a person's life and their life is radically changed because of it for the good. That's essentially the story we're going to be looking at today. And as I was reflecting on this, I think this story, and I think this story has two levels to it. Two levels, okay? And the first is really, I think, what Jesus intended. I don't think the second level is necessarily what Jesus intended, but I'll explain that. Is the first is what I'm going to call like a macro level. Jesus intended when he told this story that I think it was intended to be like big pictures, meaning the individual and their response to God in general, Okay, just do you accept Jesus? Do you reject Jesus? And what we see is there's, again, three responses. There's this, yes, I fully understand. I fully get it. I receive Jesus. There's the partially understand. And then there's the, yeah, I'm just going to all out reject it. Okay, you kind of have these three responses. And that's what I'm calling the macro level. And we'll talk more about that and what that means and unpacking it. But I think there's also a secondary, a secondary way of hearing this parable. And, and here's why. If the macro level is solely the way we're going to view this passage, then most of us in this room, it's not going to speak much to us, right? Well, I'm already a Christian. What do I need to hear this story anymore? Like, it's kind of done. I'm the good soil. Done. And we'll talk about it, and I think that level is truly there. But as I've been reflecting on this, 
And just reflecting in, in conversations with a lot of people, if we believe that the word of God is living and active and that the spirit continues to speak through the scriptures, I think as we continue to bear ourselves before it, the Lord is going to continue to speak. And I, I think as I was reflecting, at least, on this passage, I felt like the Lord was continuing to speak to me through this on what I'm going to call this micro level or this more personal um, level. And what I mean by that is, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have hard, rocky, thorny, and good soil areas in our lives. Parts where the gospel has fully taken root and is flourishing, and then parts where we're not really allowing it to happen. So that's what we're going to look at today. And the way Jesus makes this clear is this. He uses this dichotomy of there's a difference between hearing and understanding. And that's what he's going to do as he explains this parable and also this broader explanation of why he teaches in parables at all. Is there is a difference between hearing and understanding. There is a difference between hearing the gospel and understanding the gospel. There is a difference between hearing God loves you, that's nice, and understanding God loves me. There's a difference between hearing you are forgiven and actually understanding you are forgiven. Those are very different things. And so what Jesus is going to make clear is people receive that differently based on their understanding and based on their heart conditions. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so as I read, what I want to encourage you to do is I really want you to kind of experience a little bit what I experienced this week of bearing your soul before the scriptures and just saying, speak, Lord. Like, what do you have to say? Lord, reveal to me, you know, either on a macro level, where am I? Am I thorny, rocky, hard, or good soil? You can kind of do that on a macro level. Or where it spoke to me was, I just bared my life, and I said, Lord, show me the hard, thorny, rocky, and good areas of my life. Show me the areas that your gospel has not fully penetrated, that I'm holding back from you, that I'm not experiencing the full, radical, transformative power of the gospel. Okay? So we're in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, and I just invite you to open up. We're going to read verses 1 to 23. It's page 684 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, and then page 684. Again, as we read, bear yourself. Just ask the Lord. Invite the Lord. Lord, reveal yourself. Reveal to me the hard, rocky, thorny areas so that I can hand them over to you. Matthew 13 reads, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and was choked, or grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was originally sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Sometime later, the disciples came to him and asked, why do, you speak in, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but it has not been given to them. 
Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though, he, though seeing, they do not really see. Though hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy Isaiah spoke hundreds of years before. You will be ever hearing, but never see, understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. And if they hadn't, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But that's not you. For blessed are you because your eyes do see and your ears do hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path, or the hard soil. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling along the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful, making it difficult to understood, be understood. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. So as you read through it, the, 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 the basic flow of the story makes sense, right? Jesus gathers with his disciples and a bunch of crowds show up on the shore uh, and he begins to teach in parables. And the first parable he teaches is this one about the farmer that goes out to throw some seed. Then sometime later, after the crowds have gone away, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him a question. Hey, why did you teach all day in parables? In other words, the whole flow of the parables is interrupted. Matthew immediately moves it to this point. He's trying to tell us something. And they ask, why do you teach in parables? So Jesus explains to them both why he teaches in parables, and then second, he kind of explains the meaning of the parable of the sower. For the most part, like I said, it's pretty easy to figure out the flow, but that middle section's kind of wonky. Anybody else get lost in that? You're reading it, and you're like, what? What? You, you really kind of have to take, there's certain parts where you get to Jesus and he's starting to quote the Old Testament. He's just pulling in tons of meaning. You can't just skip through that. You really have to stop and soak and see. And I think what we're going to see as we look at that a little more closely is Jesus is simply making that distinction that there is a difference between hearing and understanding. We'll come back and look at what he's saying specifically, but he's making that distinction. The difference between hearing and understanding, seeing and and perceiving. And then what I want to do after that is I, I want to work through that framework I set up before of this macro view of viewing this passage and the micro view, right? The big picture and the individualistic. And I want to say, okay, Lord, how does this speak to us today? But first, let's talk about why Jesus speaks in parables. 
Why Jesus speaks in parables. Like I said, the response he gives is kind of cagey. Well, because to you, the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom has been given, but to them it has been hidden. And you're like, what? I would have, I mean, how many times would you be walking around with Jesus and being like, can you say that again? I mean, just one more time, real slow, real slow. He uses some real wordy stuff because to you has been given something and to them hasn't been given. Oh, okay, thanks, Jesus. And then he goes even more cagey and then he starts quoting like a prophecy of condemnation against the crowds. Did you read that? I mean, look at Isaiah 6, verse 14 here. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. He's ascribing to them some sort of negative prophecy, and this is the prophecy. This is not a good one. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will always be ignorant. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. None of these are good things you want to hear from God. Your heart is calloused, you're blind, and you're ignorant. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. If they hadn't, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. There's something about these people have intentionally or unintentionally close their ears, and close their eyes. They're missing something standing before them. There is something, Jesus is contrasting the crowds with the disciples. The disciples have seen and heard and understood something that the crowds have also seen and heard but did not understand. Well, what is it? What did they not get? Well, he kind of explains it in verse 17. Well, he hints at it, okay? He hints at it. He never outright comes and says this. This is part of Matthew's kind of hidden gospel message. Remember, Matthew never comes out right away and says, Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and you should worship him, and here's a full doxology of, or doctrine of what Jesus is about. It's slowly revealed. And since we're in the middle of Matthew, this is him slowly revealing who he is. And at the end of the book, he kind of goes, surprise, let me tie it together. And it's one of those sixth sense moments. You look back, and he was dead the whole time. Um... I don't even know where that came from. Uh, sorry. But like I said, he's hinting at what it is. And so he hints in this passage. I had to track my own head there. He hints, verse 14, or verse 17. See if you can pick up on the hint. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So the hint is, the thing that the disciples see and understand, and the thing that the crowds did not see and understand, has to be what the prophets and the righteous people of old have longed for more than anything else. Well, here's the thing. This doesn't take much guessing. This really doesn't. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament prophets, they all talk about the same thing. Or at least they reference it. They talk about this thing called the day of the Lord. They talk about this thing, this time when the Lord himself would send his messenger, his Messiah, his Christ into the world, his chosen one. And that person God would then use to rescue his people. God would use to radically transform and change their lives through this person. That this person God would send would take their hearts of stone, turn them to hearts of flesh. That this person 
person would take their sins and forgive them and forget them so that they would be gone as far as the east is from the west and that this Messiah would come and he would draw the people of God back to himself and they can declare that is my God and God would declare those are my people. That is the thing that the prophets and the righteous people of old have longed for more than anything else. This radical, transformative day when the Holy Spirit would empower a Messiah. And what we're told then is this. Jesus is standing right before them. The Messiah himself is standing before the crowds and they miss it. They miss it. The Messiah is speaking. He's telling them everything they've longed for. You want to change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh? Do this. Listen to what it is. And they go, yeah, yeah, that's nice, but where's the Messiah? Where is it? Right in front of you. That's where it's going here. And so what Jesus is saying is these people were so blind. I was standing in front of them and they didn't even get it. They just thought I was some teacher. And then he begins to explain, but this doesn't surprise me. That's what the point of the whole parable of the sower was. I was going to reveal myself to them. I am telling you, as you go and share the gospel with people, as you go and share that God himself has come and stepped into the world and is changing lives, there are going to be people that hear that and go, yeah, that's nice, and ignore it. And there are going to be people that are going to partially understand it, but never fully grasp the true power of the gospel. And there are going to be those who do get it. And as I said before, whose lives are radically changed and transformed in a way that they could never manufacture on their own. That's what he gets at. And so this is where I think it speaks on those two levels, the macro and the micro. Take the macro level first. I think it's more obvious, okay? And what I mean by this is this. Typically, when we talk about the gospel and a person responding to the gospel, we talk about it solely in this macro level. This me as an individual and how I respond to the truth of the gospel. Do I believe in Jesus? Do I not believe in Jesus? It's kind of an all or nothing thing, right? And on the macro level, if we look at this, even that dichotomy doesn't truly work. Because there are going to be people that are going to hear the gospel. This is the guy that I think of every Christmas and Easter, okay? And maybe it's because I grew up with one in my house. That comes to church every Christmas and Easter. Sits, hears the gospel clearly articulated, clearly proclaimed, and just goes, uh-huh, yeah, that's nice. They're like the hard path. The seed never gets absorbed. They're not looking for it. It just deflects right off. It doesn't. In fact, Jesus says that the evil one is snatching it. The evil one is preventing that from happening. We need to be aware that when we share, there are going to be people that are just going to outright reject us. When we talk about the power of God in our lives, when we witness to this is who Jesus is, this is who I've understood him to be, Jesus loves you. And they're going to be like, yeah, uh-huh, that's nice. You have to understand, Jesus says he expected that. And then there's going to be people that partially understand. There's going to be the person that hears, Jesus loves you, and they're going to go, yay, Jesus loves me, and that's it. Shallow faith. 
There's going to be some kernel of truth that they grasp onto, but it doesn't take over their life. It doesn't bear much fruit. You really look at the life and you're like, uh, I mean, sure, sort of. Just be honest here. This is the guy that I often come across that goes, yeah, I don't really need to go to church anymore. I've got my life together. Yeah, of course I believe. Of course I believe. I don't need God. I do my own thing. And then you look at their life and you're like, that does not match up with a person that's bearing fruit. I mean, you're not a bad person. And I, I think about this a lot when I talk to you. I'm like, you're far from a bad person, but you're clearly manufacturing a lot of this fruit on your own. These are not things that are just flowing out of you, an abundance that is just coming out that Jesus seems to describe in this parable. They have a shallow faith, a rocky faith. And then there's others that you're going to share the gospel with or who are going to hear the gospel. And yeah, there's like an openness to it, a real intrigue by it. But it could be that, you know, there, there's family pressures that are around them and they're not willing to jump from one faith to the other because they're going to be kicked out of their family and their culture and they're going to be outcast. That's a lot of pressure. And that pressure builds on them and they're not willing to really take that step of faith. They're not really willing to understand what it is that Jesus is speaking into their life because they're so stressed out. Or even the guy that's just got a billion questions. Right? He just wants you to answer everything and until he has all of his answers answered or his questions answered, he's not going to come to faith. Oh, tell me. Okay, how does the Big Bang work? Where do dinosaurs fit into the whole thing? I know. Evolution. How'd Mary, how'd Mary give birth to a baby without the whole, you know, virgin thing working out? Or they just go on and on. You've heard these questions. How do you know Jesus really rose from the dead? And they're just peppering you with questions. There's these concerns that are suffocating and stifling what God wants to do in their life. And so here's the thing. On a macro level, ah, we'll come back to that because I forgot the last part, the good soil. This is the part where you and I, I think many of us in this room have experienced the good soil. Many of us have experienced when the, the Spirit speaks and the gospel takes root in our lives, we've seen change. We've experienced grace. We've experienced freedom. Our lives are marked with hope. Our, marks, our lives are marked with love. Not love, not hope, not joy, not grace that we manufacture, but one that flows out of us. One that flows out of an understanding of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And for me, this just blows my mind at times when I think about, I am such a screw-up, and yet God loves me so much. When that, that is empowering, that is good soil, that produces amazing things. I can't manufacture that on my own. I'm not good enough. I'm way too negative on myself. But when I understand the power of the gospel, it absolutely transformed my life. And brothers and sisters, that is a word of encouragement to us today. That is a promise that Jesus says, those of us who do understand the gospel, those of us who have experienced the gospel, he promises abundant life. And praise God for that. But it's not just, here's the thing, and this is where I think it stops if we only view this as a macro level. If we only view this parable as speaking to that, we pat ourselves on the back and go, well, that's great. I'm in. Three-fourths of you are out. That's not what he's saying. I think where, on a macro level, this continues to speak to me is this. It provides a matrix for how to pray for people. It provides a matrix for how to pray for people. It provides a matrix for how to pray for myself, even. 
When there are moments and there are times in my life where I am just hard-hearted towards the Lord, I can pray, Lord, I don't know what it is, but my ground is just stiffening up. (laughs) I need you to come in and plow that sucker. I I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I don't know what it is. I... Two or three months ago, I started changing habits. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm still adjusting changing habits. So I started working out and reading more books that I wanted to read on my own. And those are good things, right? Those are things you're supposed to do. But in doing that, I kind of traded in time with the Lord. And I don't know what it is, but I just, for the last few weeks, have really been feeling more dry, to use that term. But really, if I'm using the words of Scripture, I'm becoming more hard-hearted, And so this last week or so, I've really had to pray, Lord, break my heart. (laughs) Lord, soften it. And I had to go this week, like, I had to get out of work. I had to go to the beach. I had to just spend time with the Lord. I I had to make intentional effort of just saying, no, I need to spend time with the Lord and just listen. I had to. And I still need to. Because I recognize that there's times where the soil just kind of changes below my feet. (laughs) So on a macro level, that's where it speaks to us. But I also think it allows us, in a prayer aspect, like I said, that when you're talking to somebody and you just hear them continually throw out argument after argument after argument after argument after argument after argument after argument, and you've known these people, you know, it just keeps going, argument after argument after argument. Instead of getting frustrated, pray, Lord, remove those thorns. Lord, remove those barriers that are preventing them from hearing, that are preventing your fruit, your power, your transformative action from taking hold in their life. Or even the guy, as I said, that just goes, yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me. I go to church. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you look at their life and you're like, yeah, you're not experiencing the fullness that God has for you. I I don't condemn them. I don't judge them. I pray, Lord, I pray that they would begin to experience the fullness of your gospel. Remove those rocks that are stunting them. Remove those rocks. Or the guys that, you know, just the dings right off of, the seed just flings off, doesn't exhort at all. Lord, soften their hearts. I relate to them. I don't have anything to judge them for. But you pray for that. But I also think on a macro or a micro level, as I said, this passage speaks to us. On a micro level, as we decide to lay the various areas of our life before the Lord, I think we have to be honest and say and admit The gospel is not flourishing in every aspect of my life. If it is in yours, that's awesome, and I want to hear about that. And frankly, you should be telling everyone. Seriously, that's an incredible thing. When the Lord works, tell people about it. But there's parts of my life, and there's parts of all of our lives where we have to admit the gospel's not fully flourishing. And let me give you an example of this. Politics. Because, you know, everybody loves to talk about politics at church. Don't worry, I'll get some money next. Um, The very mention of President Donald Trump or President Hillary Clinton just sends fear or anxiety or tension in your heart. And some of you have gotten to have some of these conversations. I've festered some of these conversations. There's no idea that God is even in the midst of this. We've totally divorced God out of this. This idea that God is somehow in control and sovereign over the world, sure, we, underst- or we hear it. We have a knowledge about it, but that does not resonate in our hearts. We do not fully understand that God is in control that God is sovereign, that whoever becomes president or whatever happens to America 
doesn't matter. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. God's not going anywhere. And I've had to wrestle with that. I've had to bear myself and admit, Lord, I'm having a hard time there. I'm getting choked out by these other anxieties and stressors of life that show up. The worries of life are choking me on that one. And I have to confess, Lord, remove those thorns. Lord, I want to see more clearly that you are truly in control. I want to trust that when I go into that ballot box, it really doesn't matter. Because whatever happens, you are in control. I am a Christian first and an American second. I don't have to worry about what happens here. You're in control. That's one area I'm working on. I don't know about you. Uh, How about jobs? Jobs. I mean, I talked about, this is more comfortable, so we'll go talk jobs for a little while. (laughs) You may believe, you may believe that God has blessed you with your job. Some of you may believe you are, you know, the job you have is clearly a blessing from God, but that could be it. And so day after day, you get up and you go to your job and you never think about what is God trying to do in me and through me in this job? What is God's purpose for this job? How does he want to use me? What does he want to accomplish? You never even wonder, what is God doing in the lives of my coworkers? Because here's the thing, God isn't just in this building. God isn't just in your families, just in your neighborhoods. God is absolutely pervasive and is in all aspects of life, especially work. We were designed and created to work, so of course he's in the workplace. But if you have a hard time even thinking about God in the workplace, that might be a rocky area, a shallow type of faith. Yeah, yeah, I believe God's given me this job, but clearly not flourishing by the radical transformative power of the gospel. And some of you are wondering, well, what is this radical transformative power of the gospel? Look, it's going to look different in every single person's life. We have, if you want to talk about the work piece, because I know that's a really big one, um, that would be a really fun Bible study, actually. There's some really great books. Just ask me about them. I'm not like Chris and can remember them, remember them off the top of my head. I have them on a bookshelf. Um, but if you're interested, just ask. Um, same thing on any of these topics. Uh, let's go. Okay, we could talk money. We could talk money. Lord, <laughs> or how do you feel about the Lord and your money? Is it a joyful topic? Are you actually this cheerful giver? Or you read that and you're like, that is an oxymoron. That is not a possible thing. You cannot be a cheerful giver. It's my money. Uh, What about your marriage? Your kids? Your past? Do you believe that God has truly, do you, not used to believe, do you understand that God has forgiven you of everything in your past? You may know it, But do you actually understand that? Do you live out of a forgiven lifestyle? Or what about, do you understand that God can heal you from anything that happened to you in your past? God can redeem it. Do you understand that? How about your future? Are you a hopeful person? Are you a discouraged person? You know, just this is what I mean by laying the various aspects of our life before the Lord and saying, Spirit, reveal to me hard, rocky, thorny soil, good soil. Where are you flourishing? Where are you not? And as I admitted, I admitted this last week, you look at what's going on in the country right now. 
And if you didn't hear, there was another shooting this morning. Um, I don't, there was, it was really early, and so they didn't have a lot of details, but it sounded like seven cops were shot, three of them were killed, one other one that I read was in critical condition in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So it, it clearly has to do with the, the tensions that are existing. And, and you look at what's going on in the world, and this was my reality, my wake-up call last week. I felt like, and I expressed this, that my eyes were opened to finally what was going on. Again, I'm a slow learner. I was beginning to perceive the realities that were around me in terms of the tensions that were going on. But I had to admit that my heart was still calloused because I didn't really feel anything. I didn't. And um, as I more reflected on that, I was like, that is not the heart of Jesus. I believe Jesus' heart breaks for those who are hurting. I believe Jesus' heart is with those who are hurting. It grieves with them. And I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. My heart doesn't feel anything. That was a big red flag. That was a very hard area of my life. And so again, this week, what I've been praying is, Lord, soften my heart. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me eyes to see as you see. And I am noticing a change. When I got that news this morning, it was very different than the news I received even last week. And I'm not going to say it was because I manufactured this by any way. No, no, this is the Lord breaking my heart. And I don't think we can ever come up with a solution until our hearts are even beating in line with his heart to be able to perceive what it is that he wants to accomplish. And so that's what's going on. So brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And so the question is this, are we going to continue to bear ourselves before the Lord or are we going to just allow it to kind of flip off of us? What you have to do often in parables is you have to slow down. You have to listen. You can't skip through. They're usually more than you think on the surface. And then you check yourself against the parable. Where am I in this? And in this one, it's a good one. This week, I just invite you, honestly, this would be a great exercise this week. Go home, just think about the different areas of your life, the way you raise your, kill, your children, your jobs, uh, your retirement, um, whatever you do, the stuff going on in the world, your past, your future, all those different t- finances. Lay them before the Lord and go, Lord, uh, reveal to me, are those hard, rocky, thorny, or good soil areas? And then here's what we do is we bring it before the farmer. We cannot get rid of the heart. We can't get rid of the rocks. We can't get rid of the thorns. We can't soften our hearts. We can't, no matter how hard we try. Only the Lord can do that. We're dirt in this parable. You ever seen dirt do anything other than cover stuff? You don't do anything with dirt. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm going long. Um, It's okay. We're just eating pie. Um... At this point, Pastor Chris is like laughing at the moment when he hears this. Ha ha, I knew you would. Um, Welcome to the club. Sorry. (laughs) Bring it before the Lord. And um, it's fun when I don't have to work on a clock of a second service. Um, Help me. Um, You bring it before the Lord and you ask him to remove those things. And so let's, let's wrap this up. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, and let's, 
I think it's a self, a helpful place to, to confess and a helpful place to be grateful to the Lord for his word, for revealing it. So let's, let's, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. And Lord, we confess that at times it confuses us. Um, but as we slow down and we truly seek to listen rather than blitz through it in life, Lord, your word is so powerful and so clear, so poignant. And as I confess, as I, I lay myself before it and ask your spirit to reveal to me the hard, rocky, thorny areas of my life, Lord, I know brothers and sisters in this room are doing the same. And so spirit, we just ask that you would come and have your way with us this week. Lord, those areas that are hard, we pray that you would soften them. The rocks, we pray that you would remove them. The thorns, that you would get rid of them. Lord, that we would be able to experience what it means to have hearts of stone transformed into hearts of flesh so that we would understand what it means to be forgiven people, what it means to be loved by you, what it means to be your people. Lord, at the same time, our hearts do break for our country. Lord, for the families of the officers, as there's probably still chaos and fear, and I don't even know if they've released the names, and so even the families of other officers on that force who weren't there, everyone's just in a panic. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be made manifest, that you would come and bring peace to the chaos. Lord, that you would come in and settle those hearts and let them know that you are present with them, that you are not far from them, that you have not abandoned them, that you care for them. Lord, for the families that did lose officers, that you would be with them as they grieve. Lord, that you would surround them by people who will love them and uphold them in this moment of absolute shock and horror and brokenness. And Lord, we pray for the men or man, whoever that acted in this way. Lord, there is so much hate, so much pain, anger that must lead a person to do this. God, that is clearly not as you intended. No one could hate people you created, Lord. No one who truly loves you would hate like this. And Lord, we know there are just broken hearts all around this country. People who are suffering, people who are struggling, people who feel a sense of injustice. Feel, Lord, like you have not come with your vindication as you promised. And so we pray, God, because we don't know what else to do. Lord, come, Spirit, come. Jesus, show up. In the meantime, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. May we see this world as you see it. May we seek to love as your son Christ loved. May that bring hope. Once again, we pray all this in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen.